and welcome to the after party number 12 with find the path podcast we are uh, going to be talking about some episodes of mummy's mask uh, i am jessica peters your host and i am joined by jordan jenkins like leroy jenkins except not thanks Sudi. <laughs> okay uh, rachel sandage playing citra and heather allen playing on Uris. and i am rick sandage your host and game master well, not host right now, but game master. Yeah, I'm hosting Sagiro, which I didn't think we were going to say characters, so I didn't. But now you know if you didn't. Also, why are you here if you didn't? Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Welcome, Pathfinders. Welcome. We're going to kick things off talking about episode 34, the one with the mummy fight, where we fought a mummy. This, Finally. This Finally. Yeah. The, it was horrifying. It was awful. Yeah. Sudi almost died. People uh, were diseased. There was yeah. a language barrier. Citra didn't know about it for a while. <laughs> It I think was... she might have known, but like, uh, they got it. I'll help them <laughs> if it sounds dire. And then it was. And then it was. Because you were like busy carrying a little lady. Uh, and her granddaughter. Then you had to be like, where did I put my weapons? Yeah, because I dropped both of them to dig them out. Will Citra buy another weapon, a third one, in case she throws her others on the ground? Well, I think at this point I went and retrieved my other two, and now I have a third one because I bought one at the auction. Ah. So I have three kukris. So I guess yes is the answer. Kind of, because it happened. Yes. (laughs) Cool. I really Um, wish that I spoke ancient Assyriani. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to study the, uh, I keep wanting to say Rosetta Stone, but it's not that, the book that we have. I think it is. I I know it now. Lost, I believe, is the proper do. I'll do your real-time translation. (laughs) <laughs> I really wanted to sass that mummy, but I couldn't. It was sad. Yeah. So, Rick, question for you. Was that mummy special in any way? Because he, like, she. She. she was very bad and very difficult, and I didn't like no, her. No, we're just level five. She gave you a big boop on the snoot. She did give me a big boop in the snoot. Oh, you guys were actually level four at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's been a while since I've seen mummy I'm, I'm pretty wise. sure she was a normal mummy. Yeah, she was a mummy straight out of the Vestary one. Oh, Mummies no. are kind of an interesting... They're an interesting monster because they've got some special abilities but as far as once combat begins there's not really much for me to do other than just attack i suppose to give you guys a a little bit behind the screens a mummy is a standard challenge rating of five so mathematically speaking i mean she was well within all of your ability to fight the problem was that you're running off of two previous encounters that were back to back rolling into a third encounter and scattered across the battlefield which took Mm. a lot of time you know, she had an AC of 20, which is respectable mm-hmm. as far as difficult for some of you guys to hit. It's more than mine. The, Not a guaranteed blow. The paralysis, I think, was the butt kicker. The aura yeah. of despair yeah. Is, yeah. is difficult. I was more like the, the hitting me from many points of damage was the worst part. <laughs> yeah, the, the big takeaway from her is that she had a plus 14 to hit. Sudi's AC is a 17. So yeah, that's on yours is a 19, so yeah. she's going to hit pretty yeah, much. Yeah. 19. Yeah. Yes. Which means that I might as well turn on power attack at that point, mm-hmm. take the minus two penalty to hit and get the plus four to damage. Which means that when she's attacking normally, it's 1d8 plus 10. When she's attacking with power attack, it's 1d8 plus 14. See, and that's like half of Onyrus' hit points in one hit. Yeah. This is one of the things that, like I said, I, I feel like mummies are oddly placed at their challenge rating. They do a lot of damage. They do yeah, more damage it, than I do. It's one of those yeah. things also, like, sometimes you get into those fights where it's just like, who can who can beat each other up the fastest? Mm-hmm. Because you need to make it take as few rounds as possible with that mummy able to hit you for half your hit points. Well, on top hit. of that, damage reduction five, everything, everything, everything period. Yeah. Did we get her backstory? Like, who she was exactly? No, I we, if we, we, did. Were kind of more we learned a little bit city. from her sarcophagus like, that she was part of a noble family. Mm-hmm. 
Although, Onuris, I believe, failed the knowledge nobility check to actually know anything about said family. But she, her sarcophagus was magic to make her look invisible. Yeah, I yeah, mean... which was cool. She was fancy in such a fancy coffin with such a fancy, like, magic invisibility thing, which is hilarious how that actually backfires. Yeah. Of course, you're not going to think your box for your dead person is going to be, like, worth anything, but pe- it's so worth something that people just took it and were like, well, but I guess it's empty. Although yeah. if you go into a tomb and you open a sarcophagus and it's empty, are you not questioning why there's an empty sarcophagus here? I'll say two things on that. First off, none of them are locals. They don't understand oh, the local right. burial oh, traditions right. or anything along those lines. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, the second thing was, is it probably wouldn't even surprise all of you necessarily. Because you would walk in there, you'd see a sarcophagus. Most of the ancients, you came to power, say at the age of 15 or 20 or whatever, became the leader of your family. And then you started working on your tomb pretty much the moment that you took mm. control of your family. And so your sarcophagus might be sitting down there unused for 20 years or 30 years of your life. Okay. And they might have just assumed, okay, whoever the sarcophagus was intended for, they died in such a way that their body couldn't be recovered. And then the city fell, so they never reused the sarcophagus. Mm. Or left the sarcophagus down there as a memorial. Fair. So we're definitely going to add like detecting magic on all of the uh, sarcophagi that we see now because that's I think the second time we've seen some type of magic in a sarcophagus. So I mean, I think on yours pretty much we're investigating. That's kind of one of his go-tos. Usually. So what was everybody's? Okay, I'm going to make up a thing and we'll see if we like it. I don't know. Let's call them not twenties and not ones. So favorite parts and least favorite parts of the episode. Favorite part of that episode was clearly you ending the fight, Sagira, with two 20s back to back. That will never happen again. That was epic and well-timed. The nat one of that episode was most definitely me getting uh, critically hit and dropped from like full hit points to one hit point. That was crazy. That was the worst by far because that was the moment I was like, "Uh uh-oh, let me get my monologue ready for my epic death. Isn't there a rule, like maybe it's an alternate rule where if you lose like half your hit points... You die Overwhelming if it's damage. one hit. Mm-hmm. Massive damage. Yeah. Massive damage, yeah. Yeah, we don't use that. Well, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say, if we did, I think Sudi would be dead right well, now. Well, and I think I think the massive damage rules wouldn't have actually applied in that situation because there's a threshold that you have to hit. I think it's, oh, yeah, it's, a certain I think it's 50 points. points of damage. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. I was going to say, From, so you don't get hit like first level and just die immediately. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. What are your nat 20s and nat 1? Uh, my nat 20 was probably my back-to-back nat 20s where right. um, I had back-to-back criticals. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were a lot of criticals in that episode. Because, like, I, I came back, like, I finished digging the uh, little lady and her granddaughter out, and then I come back over there, and I was like, ah! And I missed my first hit, and then I got two <laughs> crits in a row. Yeah. That was pretty good. Uh, the nat one, probably Sudi. I thought we were going to lose him there for a little bit. That's why I was like, it. oh, my God, please let me roll well on this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. On yours didn't do anything really super impressive in that fight. Well, it can be anything. It doesn't have to necessarily be something that you did. I mean, y'all did really good with your nat 20s. And then, of course, Sudi dying is a bad thing. I like that we're all in agreement that I had the worst <laughs> in, day. In yes, general, we don't want Sudi to die. <laughs> My favorite part was critically Sudi. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, honestly, probably my favorite part to that episode, as great as all the natural 20s were and uh, everyone's excitement and coming off of that, was probably Sudi stepping back into the fight. Yeah. There, there are a lot of times when, as a player, of course, you want your character to stay alive and everything, but you actually have these opportunities for a heroic moment. 
And I knew if if Rachel didn't hit or if Jessica didn't hit, if they both happened to roll natural ones or miss their attacks or anything, I would just have to turn around. And as we were talking at the top of the show, even with her power attack on, I only had to roll a five to hit Jordan. And even with the healing that Sudi had received from Onuris, I would still have probably about a 60... Uh, maybe a maybe a 50-50 chance of just flat out killing him, if not reducing him down to negative 9 or 10. So when players accept that they have to do something not necessarily tactically sound, even though Sudi stepping back into the fight, while it was a heroic action, may have been considered ultimately futile because the amount of damage that Sudi can put out against something with damage reduction isn't that great. It was still a heroic move, and I always appreciate that. Yeah, and he got his cool little phrasma, you know, thing. That mm-hmm. was awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of play my character kind of weird because uh, the one things I hate is I hate dying without, like, a purpose. Like I said, drowning or falling off a cliff or something. Like, to me, it doesn't feel heroic. But, like, if it's heroically saving somebody or it's, you know, trying to do something really bad, uh, I have no problem with my character potentially dying from that. So I I tend to be a little bit more uh, risk-taking than probably most people would be with characters. (laughs) My least favorite part was probably just not getting to utilize more of the battlefield in that fight. Mm. Where she emerged and where you fought her, I really had no choice but to do a standard attack and a five-foot step Mm -hmm. every round. And so, yeah, she slowly danced like 25 feet out of a door. But I didn't really get to utilize the central walkways and everything that when I looked at that map, I have this beautiful, massive map. And when you guys fought the zombies, you got to use a little bit of the back portion of the building or the front portion of the building and then did all of your fighting out on the front steps and then did all of your fighting in this one storage room off to the side. And then the majority of the rest of the building was just difficult terrain you had to navigate through to get from one fight to the other. So I would have liked to have been able to use more of the battlefield. So in the future, I will give Mummy Spring Attack. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I think my favorite part of that episode was the fact that Onuris handed Sagira his magic sword, like that you had cast that damage reduction yeah. stuff on. That was a good. Like that was such a cool moment because Onuris and Sagira generally don't get along that well, but like yeah. they came together like to fight the greater evil, which was cool. Well, the mummy had to die. Yeah. Uh, my least favorite part was the fact that I didn't just outright punch that wizard. I wish I had just socked that wizard in the wizard. face. <laughs> I wish I had just socked that wizard in the face for like, oh, well, I'm just going to leave. Citra was almost there, too. I like, wish I had punched him right in the face. That's why Onuris doesn't like these stupid foreigners in his city. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, we caught, wait, there's a mummy and undead and all this stuff. Go over out. Bye. Peace. Yeah. Have fun with that. All right, I guess we'll move on to the next episode. We uh, boarded Onyaris's imperious mother to the Grand Mausoleum. We talked about this cop pulse idea from uh, Septi, and then Sekiro was rude to the noble people. And then uh, we went and fought some zombies at the uh, warehouse. Yeah, I think uh, I think you two got Mummy Rod again. Uh, yeah. Oh, was yeah. That from that fight, or was no, it earlier? That's from the Mummy. Think mine got. So, I don't know. Uh, we leveled up after the mummy, so Onuris was able to take care of it. Yes. And oh, yeah, and we yeah, leveled yeah. up. Uh, maybe we talk about that? Yeah, if you guys want <laughs> to discuss your level yeah, up yeah. real quick, it might be what new spiffy abilities that they'll see in the... Uh, you guys will have already have seen a little bit of them in 3536. Get an I mean, idea of what you see in the future. Onuris got third level spells, which he immediately had to use to get rid of mummy rot. So I took boon companion and now Isra is much better at everything. Onuris also took that for on her yeah. And so now they're <laughs> fifth. They're like druid animal companions equal to our level. Yep. That's a good feat if you're not a druid, but you have an animal. Cause I think the biggest struggle with animal companions is making sure they don't die. Once you start getting into higher levels, hmm. yeah, because they don't, they don't stuff. keep pace as well. And then Onuris got his new spells and that's really it for the cleric. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I can uh, hit fifth things. level, so your channel went up to 3d6. <laughs> more channel! Well, I'm out of channels because I use them all against the other zombies, so That's it doesn't true. matter. That's true. What about you, Monk? Uh, so Sudi, of course, hits fifth level. Uh, for Monks, gets uh, Purity of Body, which I think I mentioned in the episode that actually oh, yeah. was like cured me of my mummy rot because now well, I'm immune to all I had diseases. to get rid of the curse still. Yeah, so they got rid of the curse and then the disease just like poofs away because Monk. Feet-wise, I took uh, Endurance, and then, yeah, I, I'm fifth level, so I do fifth level monk things. Like, like punch, punch harder. Things. Yeah, like punch. Well, no, I don't even punch harder. I just punch. More. That's it. I have a higher base attack bonus. I punch a little bit better. Yeah. Citra got Curse Sense to start off yeah. with, and then um, my first Rogue's Edge where I took Diplomacy, because I figure City's going crazy. I'm going to need to be able to talk down some stupid people, because mm. <laughs> people en masse are stupid, but a single person I could probably like deal with. I like no, that. The- that, that play on the yeah. men in black quote. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I was going for. <laughs> now, the uh, first off, you have an archetype, which this is, is this the first thing that your archetype has changed about your base class? I think so, where I lost Uncanny Dodge, which I was really sad about. But the curse sense is pretty cool. Yeah, so now I can, like, get spider sense for curses. Yeah, and Rogue's Edge is something that was introduced in the uh, for the Unchained Rogue, yes. where you get, for lack of a better term, like new uh, things that you can do with skills. They're really cool. Yeah, you, you get a bonus yeah. at what five ranks in, ten ranks in, yeah, and, five, ten, and uh, 15, fifteen ranks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Citra will unlock more skills that she can use this with as she progresses. Yeah. Anything else? I took Iron Will, just because <laughs> we seem to be um, facing a lot of things that need will saves, and my will save. Still ain't very good. Oh, rogues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the plus two is a, it's a huge jump. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and brought me up from a two to a four. That's a, that's a <laughs> 100% increase in your ability to make saves. Yeah, this episode's interesting, these last few, because all Segura really wants to do is go to the Temple of Bastet and make sure that her people are okay. But there just seems to be one thing after another thing that well, we have to do instead. The entire city guard has been, displaced, has been dispatched to that region. I think... They're fine. I don't know if I trust the city guard to be good at anything. Yeah, but we sent Falto and Marin and all them. Yeah. And my cat. Yeah. She suddenly got real good while she was over there with them. Um, <laughs> but that's still, that's one of those, like, I only care about, like, seven people. And uh, I can't check on them yet. I'm over here in this, like, empty warehouse. Although Tetmanib is important, so we're going to finish this. Yeah, Because I think at the end of that episode, it was the end of the episode or beginning of the next one we found out that Tetman had been... It's the beginning of the next one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So at the end of that episode, you found out, you discovered that the reason for the zombie attack on the Candy Jackal was because people had opened up the storage building where they were keeping the dead bodies and were stealing yeah. bodies. Like it was open. Somebody in the silver chain, because we found <clears throat> like... The, yeah, I was going to say, we found this corpse because clearly yeah. we didn't know it was going to happen. And obviously, he uh, was unprepared. Well, yeah, because he got eaten. We fought some zombies. We were happy they were zombies and not mummies. Yeah. What, one zombie or one mummy fight was enough. We're good. The end. No more mummy fights. <laughs> it's only called Mummy's Mask. <laughs> yeah. That's a singular mummy. There could have just been one mummy. Like, you have, like, the one dragon that you fight in a lot of adventure paths. That's yeah. fair. The one mummy. True. But I don't think this There's is going to be the one mummy. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen, but I can hope. I can dream, can I? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, you can. Anything else about this episode? This was pretty straightforward. There is a fun anecdote for this episode, or something that you found in this episode, because while you're going through the episode, I can't remember where exactly I read this, and I believe it was from Rob McCreary, who was the developer? Yeah, the developer for The Mummy's Mask of Path. He mentioned how when they were originally doing the sketch, the outline, and everything else that the mask element to it wasn't going to be as much of an element 
like it originally wasn't Mummy's Mask. The whole idea was that there would be this mummified hand. That the party would have this hand. There's kind of, it just makes me think of the monkey's paw. But you would have this hand. They had a whole idea of it and then eventually just kind of dropped away. And then they went in the direction of, of doing a mummy's mask. But they still decided to work the hand in, mm-hmm. which you guys actually did get a mummified hand in this oh, yeah, that's episode. The yes, the hand mm-hmm. of the honest man, I believe it yeah. was. Which is a really neat item, and in large part because he's just there's something so interesting about these adventurers walking around, and one of them's like wearing a mummified human hand around his neck to provide all the protections and everything, because it is that ancient belief that you could actually wear pieces of creatures or talismans or things along those lines to protect you, that this is an actual thing that protects you, that also ties into the local culture's punishment for thievery being the loss of a hand. I think it's kind of funny because I don't know if any of us actually decided to carry that. I think we were all kind of weirded out by it. Yeah. It's a little weird a weird item from a cosmetic aspect. But it, it is something that has been in uh, in Pathfinder and D&D by extension for a long time that there's like the hand of the mage that lets you mage yeah. hand it. But yeah, and there's mummified elven hand you can wear around your neck that gives you an extra ring slot. Yeah, I think it's just really gross like a little morbid yeah i've never i've never wanted any of those magic items because the idea of carrying around a a hand is like a rabbit's foot okay i could see that but like i also have eh. issues with the idea that good characters are okay with this yeah it's so weird and it's so like it's like innocent guy's hand yeah it's like hey here's this mummified hand that I'm going to wear to give myself an extra ring slot, says the paladin. That just, something about that just doesn't yeah. work. Uh, yeah, and you can make the <laughs> argument for certain characters. It's, it's kind of like the classic argument of uh, infernal healing. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's an evil spell, but it heals you. So isn't isn't it okay to be willing to cast an evil spell to get healing for the greater good? Is it okay to wear this mummified hand? Because, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to give this hand back to the guy. You so can bury it. Can you, but is it more useful to wear it for the greater good, for the protection it provides mm-hmm. you against curses, including things like mummy's rot? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's I fall a, on the no side because I'm not wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a fine line. And, oh, and yeah. That doesn't seem to make any, like she's, she's into protecting herself, but not at the cost of being the weirdo with the hand around their neck. Mm. But other characters that I've played that are much weirder would be totally down. It's one of those good times to be like have a neutral person because it's like, yeah, this is like the one kind of kind of evilly thing that I can do. Well, I'm fine. neutral. Like, she's yeah. chaotic neutral. It's just not. Yeah. It doesn't feel. Yeah. She just uh, got a real nice amulet. I, I would make the argument that wearing this hand would not be an evil act. Creating one of these hands purposefully would. Oh, that's yeah. Fair. Still yeah. weird to wear a mummified dude's hand. Yeah. yeah just it was, that out there. I just thought it was a really neat item. It's neat, <laughs> but we're gonna sell it. I think. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I will keep my possessed ring, but I do not want a hand. That's going to come like back and bite you eventually. So, yeah, That's a, cool. It's a good That's cool. change. All right. Moving on from there, we get to episode 36, which had the psychopomp. Oh, my gosh. How oh, freaking man. cute. It was so cute. So much And fun. explains so much. Yeah. Suddenly, we were like, ah, Tetmanib. Yes. You're not he insane. <laughs> was actually talking to something the whole time. So we meet Kwasin, the psychopomp, uh, who says that Tetmanib's been taken because we found his scarf. And we then, thought it was talking to us at first. <laughs> yeah. The talking scarf. We did think it was maybe talking to us. Which, which would also weird. explain a lot. It would. And then we had the psychopomp talk to the dead silver chain guy. Uh, and then we kind of found some locations to investigate. And we ran into the, uh, quote, gar- city guard in the uh, dock area. Yeah. 
that we're going to have to deal with next Clear, episode. Clearly Probably. not guards. I'm, I'm just going to say, Quason has made me so happy. Like, I, uh, it's been a long time since I think Sudi has had like some joy in, in a number of episodes, and like this is joyful. This is like you know a, a outsider of my deity that's come to say hi, and like oh, that's just so cool. Yeah, it's also an outsider of your deity that's probably in a lot of trouble. It's I wonderful. Mean, yeah, we'll deal with that later. <laughs> I'm from the lawful side of Sudi. That's probably problematic, <laughs> but. Hey, cool, I've only read about these things in books and now I get to see one. How cool is that? This is a fun aside and everything for you talking about the scarf. I mentioned how the scarf was blowing down the street. Like it kind of came out and you watch it and it's just kind of tumbling down the street. It's because she was carrying the scarf, right? She was pulling it. Yeah. Uh, She wanted to draw your attention to the scarf and then hopped nearby to listen to what you were saying because she thought you were good people, but she wanted to make sure before she revealed herself and asked you to help Tetmanib. So she was waiting to see whether or not you were planning on doing that yourself. Because if you're just like, well, I always hated that Tetmanib guy anyway, Mm. she would have gone off to find somebody else to help her. (laughs) That's fair. And this is why it pays to be nice to everybody, guys. Like real life pro tip right there. I mean, in general, we just like the weirdos. I think that's like a universal theme. Oh, that's a weirdo? Love him. Also, this is true. We are, you know, we are the, you know, team with the befriender of monsters yourself. I love befriending evil things. Because we are the Newt's commanders of <laughs> yes, the D and D world. Recently, this is true. I would be Newt's commander minus his social awkwardness. Depending on the situation, you still have the social awkwardness. Yeah, but his is a little more like intense. <laughs> yeah, than mine would be. But yeah, so essentially, like, oh, that's a weird, ugly thing. Let's be friends. Yeah. yeah. So you got to speak with Dead there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was helpful. Actually, before we move on from Quasen, one other thing that I will point that I really like. The artwork from the bestiary portrays them as a raven. And it's actually funny because it's a raven wearing a doctor, like a plague doctor's mask. <laughs> which is so cool. Uh, which is cool. And I, I appreciate, though, that it also shows that even outsider styles will change depending upon the region that they're overseeing. So Kwasin's case, she's wearing a Egyptian funerary mask or an Osirian yeah. funerary mask in this case. Yeah. And so I, I liked that idea where it's just like, yeah, because this was in the Mwangi Expanse, it'd be one of those cool tribal wooden masks that they'd be wearing. Or if it was in Taldor, it'd probably be this like fancy masquerade mask that the psychopomps are wearing. I also like even that the breed of the bird changes depending on the region where they say that they're always some sort of bird that's associated with death. So ravens in the case of the one from the book, although in Quasin's case, she's a whippoorwill. Yeah. And she's hanging out on Onyris' shoulder. Yep, right now. Onyris, Lord of Birds. Onyris, <laughs> yep. the only one with the strength to carry this surprisingly dense bird. <laughs> I was going to say, it was described as surprisingly heavy. Yeah. Weighted down with all the souls that she's carried into the afterlife. Mm. Takes a toll. So, yeah, we spoke with Dad. Well, she spoke with Dad, technically. And I got healed from the disease, the curse. Yes, the mummy, both. Curse and disease. Both. So, yeah, mummy rot's not a problem anymore. Well. For us at this current juncture. It did drain all of your third level spell resources. Well, but. yeah. But at least no one's going to die of mummy rot this time. Sure. This time. Not you today. got your, uh, I think, constitution damage heal, but not your charisma damage. Yeah, because I yeah, mean, I can, be, like- <laughs> I can be uh, not as pleasant to be around for More a abrasive. While. Ah, yes. More abrasive. Very good. Just what everyone wanted. Sagir to be more abrasive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're just fighting things at this point. That's fine. Yeah. So- it's always that funny thing when you take charisma damage. It's like, not only am I less likable, but I'm also really bad at lying and less scary now. All right. So then we ended up at that um, warehouse thing on the dock. The brick it's super sketch. The brick yeah, works. the brickworks. And then it was like, was it on Eurus who found the door that was like boarded up with quotes around it? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh. 
<laughs> and Sydney's like, it's clobbering time. Yeah. She and then we lost time. one of them, right? Yeah, but that's okay because Kwasin's on my shoulder and she can see invisible things, so... Yeah, that's pretty helpful. Uh, I don't know if he's invisible or if he's just hiding. Yeah, I think he's hiding. She probably has a real high perception file. check, too, so... <sighs> Those rogue types. Yeah. I yeah. guess. And uh, hopefully you guys in the next couple of episodes will be able to uh, find and save Tetmanib and maybe finally rest, because I think you're four fights into the day so yeah. far. I have, day. like, two first-level spells left, and that's it. Yeah, we gotta find Tetmanib real quick, because we're all real sleepy. <laughs> all right. Yeah, fan letters time. So, fan letter one is from Ben, from Huntsville, Alabama. Hey, that's not too far from us. But we have to give him um, a real place, a real fake place. <laughs> to be found. That feels kind of like maybe River Kingdom somewhere. Oh yeah, I can I see that. River Kingdoms, like yeah. A little they're... more rural. Uh, ooh, what was the name of that weird town? No, we're not making anybody <laughs> live wonder there. You oh, can't save oh. someone from drowning. Yeah, no, that's an awful <laughs> place. That's worse than like. That's the weirdest place. Caramaga. Okay, like, we're not Caramaga's making the someone live no, there. The mayor there was actually really nice. They just won't save you if you drown. Yeah, you just have that, to be a good no, swimmer. That place was not good. We're not making anyone live there. So, Ben, uh, are you a good swimmer? <laughs> I mean, out of the River Kingdoms, Seven Arches isn't too bad. Lots of elves if you like elves there. So I like that's elves. Always fun. Okay, cool. Ben from Seven Arches, River Kingdoms. I don't know if that's how that works in Galarian. Whatever. Uh, Seven hey Arches, River Kingdom way. <laughs> yes. Uh, hey, guys. I know Rick hates effusive praise, so I'll kick this off by saying you guys are pretty okay. Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate Thanks, your man. honesty. We're, we think uh, we're pretty okay, too. <laughs> been listening for a handful of months now and really enjoy the show. Looking forward to this next book. I have a couple questions. So the first question is, uh, you guys use Sirenscape well in the recordings. Thank you. Do you use it in your unrecorded games? And who typically runs the sound? Yes. So, yes. And yes. We, use, yeah. we use Sirenscape in uh, all of our games. I converted to Sirenscape, I don't know, about when a it, couple years. When it became well, a thing. Because when we first started playing, um, you would actually use video game sound set. Well, and way in a long time ago before that, we had movie and video game soundtracks on CDs that we would just put tracks on repeat for yeah. back yeah. in actually, like, I think, and stuff. Actually, I think it was five years ago, six years ago. And it was when the five-year anniversary for the release of Rise of the Rune Lords came out. So that would have been 2008. 12, so six years ago, they put out the anniversary edition for Rise of the Rune Lords, and Sirenscape did a Rise of the Rune Lords sound set. Yeah. And so that was the first time I started experimenting with Sirenscape. So by that point, for most of this group, I had been playing with all of you for about a year. So I think mm -hmm. I used video game sound sets before that. Yeah. And then when I started running Rise of the Rune Lords for everyone, I jumped over and started doing that. And we'd actually had the chance to meet Ben Looms at PaizoCon. I think it was Super 20. Awesome. 14. I don't know. I was remember. the first one that we went to. Sounds right. That's the first one we went to, but I actually got to meet him last year. Yeah. And he gave us some really awesome suggestions for places to visit in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's also like, he's given us advice on like sound uh, equipment to get. And like, uh, yeah. I've actually got a, when we did the uh, YouTube videos, actually for the voiceovers, have a little mini booth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That yeah. is a clone of the one that he takes to conventions because I was yeah. like that is the coolest thing ever we've always used music like way back yeah I've know? always used yeah. music but Sirenscape was a new addition I as the game master I control the Sirenscape in large part because I will say that there's there's two reasons one it means that I can 
fully control when the scene transitions are. I know it more than players do, and I know it's adding an extra layer for a game master to have to deal with that. Secondly is if you're using the official sound sets for anything, so if you're using you know the Rise of the Rune Lord sound set, it can also be super spoilery for your players, where yeah. it's just like, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm going down here. It's like, why is there a Sin, sin Spawn sound set for this dungeon? Mm. Well, I guess I know what I'm going to be fighting Why soon. is there a monologue from this character that we didn't know about yet? Yeah, yeah. it's like, don't know about this character. True. So, yeah, highly suggest Sirenscape. There are some trials that you can do and just pick up some stuff. Or you can actually do the subscription, which is what I do. Where yeah, you just the, pay it's, it. it's called Super Siren, and yeah. it gives you access to all sound sets. Every mm. single one of them. And there's probably, what, yeah. like 50 now? Yeah. One of these years, I want to go to Paizo and actually get up the nerves to, like, go record something for them. I think it'd be fun. I, I did it last so year, much and fun. I didn't... Uh, I didn't make the cut because I, I was I was auditioning for Vin Carlo from Curse of the Crimson Throne. Aww. I didn't make the cut. I, so. uh, I was doing Strange Aeons. I was going to do that. Um, there's like a thing that has like a bunch of different voices, and they wanted to have like a you know a couple hundred different voices. I didn't make the cut either. <gasps> but, uh, but ben, it was so much was fun to record. So for. offended. It's <laughs> so much fun to record though. Okay. It's just, just like you just have ra- all it is is like literally like random lines, and you just read them in whatever voice you want. Like it'll maybe coach you a little bit, but like it's just creative and just fun. Yeah. You know. All right. Next question: Have you run any of Paizo's modules J1 and J4, which I assume are the J1 is entombed with the pharaohs, yeah. and J4 is the pack So, uh, hold on. J1 and J4 as the two excellent Assyriani tomb raiding instances in particular. Okay. Uh, cool. So the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. I have. I actually ran both of those, and they are my favorite modules. They're great. They are so real good. Much fun with those. They're 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 nice and open, and they give you like a lot of flexibility, both as a GM and as a player. It's pretty fun. So I'm I guess totally the answer different. the answer to the question is yes. Yes. There um, actually is a definitely. third Pathfinder module that takes place in Osirian called Risen from the Sands that I own but have not played. Huh. So in answer to your question, yes, we have played them. They're very enjoyable. Yep. All right. All props for your system mastery. I've really enjoyed how you all play by the rules and keep it fast and instructive. How do you guys handle high level? Do you guys have any house rules to speed up play? The short version of that is no, I don't have any house rules to do that. I benefit from the fact that my players, once engaged in the game, are engaged in the game. We're playing the game, everyone came here to play the game, and so there's not a lot of, oh, sorry, I don't know what's going on anymore because I was checking my phone for the last five minutes. Or, you know, I wandered off to go do something else or doing my math homework or whatever. Uh, (laughs) When we sit down, we're just focused on playing the game. I think high-level play does slow down because everything has more hit points, higher AC, way more options. But if your players know their characters, then their turns usually don't take any longer. The only thing that really takes longer is it's a little harder to add up 15d6 worth of damage versus 3d6 worth of damage. But if you're playing a wizard and you go from burning hands to cone of cold, you should still know what you're going to cast on your turn. So really, I would say that my suggestion for any game masters out there listening is just encourage your players to stay engaged and involved and to know what they're going to do before their turn comes. Well, And the better you know the rules, the easier that stuff becomes. Yes. You know, like... When we play some some of the high level mod, like every, usually every year when we go to PaizoCon, we bring one of the really high level modules to just play while we're there because it's easier than bringing the adventure path that we're using. And sometimes that's slower just because suddenly I have a 15th level character <laughs> that I haven't played from first yeah. level, so I don't mm-hmm. know everything this character can do. Yeah. So that slows it down. But when you're playing through an adventure path and you start at first level and it's a level progression, you should 
at every step know what your character is capable of doing, so it shouldn't slow it down too much. No. Know what spell that you want to cast and have it have either the book open to the page or if you're using one of the apps or Archives of Nethas, have it pulled up. So it's not one of those, um, I guess I'm going to use this spell, but let me take five minutes to find it. Yeah. Unless something devastating happens and, and you're like, yeah. well, there goes my whole plan. Yeah. 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 Which will happen. It yeah. happens. Which will happen. Well, it and happens. even if you're if you're Rick and you know probably almost all of the spells do, there's always that question of, mm-hmm. wait, is that actually affecting this weird well, case and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, I, I will know what most spells will do just based on name because I've been playing this for long enough. I oftentimes, though, I won't necessarily remember... What kind of save does this offer? What's the range on this spell? What's its spell resistance? And so I rely on the players to actually look up the spells beforehand. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because, well, with melee characters, it's a little easier. The cognitive load is like, I'm going to hit that guy. Or I'm going to, you know, power attack this guy. Or I'm going to whatever. I mean, the only tip I have for making melee characters faster is to roll all of your d20s at once. If you're going to strike three times, roll three tw- d20s. Color code yeah. your dice. I, that's what and I color did. code your dice, yeah. Well, and if you use, if you know you're going to use power attack a lot, just on your one of your weapon slots, make a note that this is the sword yeah. I always use, but this is it power attacking. Here's the damage already changed, so you don't have to take the few seconds. That helps a lot just to have all that math done. One last tip for any game masters out there doing high-level play is remember that the average encounter will run you five rounds, ten if you're really lucky. And so, especially if the party's facing a spellcaster, a suggestion I would make is before the game, if you have a a tablet or a laptop or something that you keep behind, go on the the archives of Nethys, pull up a separate tab for each of the high-level spells that that caster will probably cast, because you'll know looking down at the sheet that it's like, oh, well, the guy has prismatic spray, definitely using that. And then just as they cast them, just close down the tabs afterwards until you burn through the spells that you need. That way you have them immediately at hand and ready to go and can just cycle through whatever spells. Because I find more than... I could run the Tarsk much easier than I can run Karzug. Mm. Thank you for your questions, Ben. Enjoy the river kingdoms. All right, John from Sargava writes, he, he picked he, his own he place. Picked, he picked his own place. Yeah. Nice. Good pick. I don't know if I'd want to live in Sargava. Anyway, hey guys, writing in with a question for the group after hearing the need for them last week. I wasn't supposed to read that. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Feel free to skip that. But despite all the goofs about it, I did first have to give praise, which was that I really love the podcast and all of you so far. I think you all do a great job with everything and I've really enjoyed the way you handle you handle inter-party relations and character conflicts. With bonus points for being remarkable with the rules, I almost always mention when describing it to people, oh, and they didn't even make a single mistake for like 20 episodes, haha. So, on the back of party relationships and other character conflicts, what are some of the times in other campaigns where your characters have been most at odds? And has that ever led to it getting remotely heated between you personally? <laughs> I like how Jordan and I immediately looked at each other. <laughs> Keep it up, crew. John from Sydney, Australia, which does feel a lot like Sargava. That's a really good pick. I yeah. believe the capital Sargava is uh, Eldir. Eldir. I, I don't Who remember. I've never had a character I, from there before. I would say since you're from the capital of Australia... Aladir Sargava. Conflicts between characters. I say the first conflict we ever had was uh, Jordan and I, my character Adelai, apparently was banging his girlfriend at one point, which he never found out about. But just Jordan's they had a they had a contentious <laughs> yeah. relationship throughout the entire adventure path. I punched him in the face once after yeah. Oh yeah, you did punch him. I did. In the face um, and then you immediately after healed you caught yourself. Half the party in a cone of cold. Yeah. Yeah, and almost <laughs> killed the girl that he was in love with. 
Oh, yeah, this was also Jordan's uh, sorcerer with an eight constitution. She was always on the ground. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he I, got I, downed by a baboon. Let, let, let's just say I, I had some carry. To be uh, fair, baboons are vicious, vicious creatures. <laughs> true, at, at first level. Yeah, we were, we were pretty low level. Yeah, we were. But yeah, um, yeah, our, our characters were always kind of at odds, but we would still, if it ca- push came to shove, like Adelaide was going to jump in and save him. Yeah. And he never found out. that. Now, granted, the reason he was banging the girlfriend was because Adelaide was a courtesan, so he was being forced. So really? It's all paid. the girl's yeah. fault in this situation. She was, so. she was a terrible person. She was a terrible she person. She was not a nice person. We actually ended up meeting her in the adventure. <laughs> yeah. And it was super- it was really awkward, awkward and so Adelaide was like, oh my God. Right. Let's see. Let's see. So yeah, uh, we, we've had inner party conflict in the past. I don't I think any of us have ever taken it away from the table and been mad at our actual friend, though. The only time I was mad at an actual human being was when uh, Jordan's character did not get the rope out of the backpack. <laughs> Oh, and no. I died. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was mad for a long the, time. The, uh, the short version of that story is Jessica's fa- character fell off of a rope bridge. No, no, no. Not fell, jumped. Witch. Jumped off of a rope. One of the party members fell off the bridge. Jessica's character jumped in the water to save her. And Jordan wouldn't stop killing goblins long enough to provide rope to the rest of the party to fish them out. And Jessica's character ended up dying. Yeah, it, it was a that, saga. That, yeah, that was definitely like, you know, you're sleeping on the couch kind of a moment. Um, <laughs> it was not cool. Not, not my, I'm not the most proud of that moment, I will admit. And definitely would have done it differently. Also, uh, I think you again. were playing a hunter who had a swim speed. Oh, no, no. Okay, so like. yeah, okay, so the worst <laughs> part about that is I re- I, I'm playing a dwarf and he's surly and doesn't want to get in the water. I forgot that hunters have the ability to like take part of animal aspects into themselves, so I could have given myself a bonus to my swim. So I would have been better suited to jump in there, and I felt real. That's like I went from like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of surly to like, oh no, I think I like actually feel that in my cold, you know, little uh, dwarf heart. <laughs> and that was my first character death. That was a, that yeah. was bad. I was mad. That was that was a bad one. So I think the important thing is inner party conflict can be good. Yeah, it can do a lot to develop a party and and such but as players you need to understand going into it that first off the moment you sit at the table you have effectively signed a contract that everyone is there to have fun and if you're doing anything that is stopping someone else from facilitating their idea of you know or their fun as long as their fun isn't interfering with other people's fun that you are doing something wrong and so making a character that is contrary just for the sake of being contrary and ruining everyone else's time that's not good. And it's not like, something we deal with at the table. Well, like, yeah. the, I'm the rogue, so I'm going to steal this Stealing thing from, from you yeah. because yeah. I can. And Yeah, and uh, I'm just a lone wolf. Yeah, that one I've never <laughs> understood. Like, oh, my character doesn't want to work with a team. It's like... Unless like, you're going to come around, right? Like, if you start yeah. off, like... If you have an arc planned and you're like, he's going to be standoffish, but then like, you know, the weird little gnome is going to like open him up and they're going to be like inseparable. Like you have like this whole plan, then cool. That I think is probably the crux of it, that being willing to compromise and have your character grow in such a way that it resolves the conflict Mm -hmm. is probably the best way. It's fine if you want to play a dwarf that hates all orcs and then you have a half orc in the party Mm -hmm. and maybe the characters have this conflict to begin with. But if you're playing that dwarf, it almost behooves you to have your character go through that growth and transformation to go. Even if he goes, I still hate half-orcs, but this one guy has shown me that there are some good ones in them Mm -hmm. or something like that, then that's fine. On the topic of conflict between players, I think the easiest takeaway is to to realize that you're telling a story Mm -hmm. and that any conflicts in a story should have a resolution. Yeah. Uh, And that between you and the other player, 
I almost think it's best if you confer with the other player to basically say, I'm playing a dwarf. I hate orcs. I know you're planning on playing a half-orc, so we're going to have this conflict and everything, but it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm the dwarven cleric and I refuse to heal the half-orc fighter. Yeah, that's trash. You know, never, never take it into a mechanics part of it. In this adventure path so far, Onuris and Segura do not see eye to eye no, on they, a they lot of things. They don't really like each other very much. Yeah. I, you know? But Segura will still take a hit for Onuris, and Onuris will still heal that hit afterwards. We had that moment where we had a sword. Yeah, you had that moment where you they, handed over the sword. It, it's, yeah, it's that whole, they may, they may never be friends, but they're like co-workers, <laughs> colleagues kind of a thing. Colleagues. So it's like, you know, <laughs> this, is the guy, this is the guy that like I work with and we accomplish things, but you know, I'm not inviting him to my yeah. bar- backyard barbecue. <laughs> Well, that's one of those, I have to invite Segura to the backyard barbecue because I'm inviting Sudi. Because there might be an encounter and I don't want to split the party. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. I guess uh, that brings us to casting some deities. So we're running a little long this week. So uh, we will be casting for one of our deities for this week. All right. Who are we casting? Jessica's uh, the I'll host for this week. So go ahead and bounce a die. What, what die? D20. 17. I guess it's a, if it's one we've already done, we'll just like Roll try again. again. We'll do the next one on the list that we haven't done. Yeah, I'll just bump it down. Yeah. So this one's really for Heather. Oh. Zon Cthun. Oh, no. Oh, I, was, I was afraid you were going to say that. I was like, uh, uh is the god of... Awesome. Zon Cthun is the Midnight Lord, the god of darkness, envy, loss, and pain. Oh, I have several. Uh, darkness, death, yeah. destruction. You can only have one, Rachel. Ball. I've got an idea. I've got four ideas. I've got one. I wonder if we have one in common. I wonder if it's in common, because it might be. I guess we'll start with Jordan. So I'm going to go with Ralph Fiennes. Ooh. Valdi. Yeah, so go for Valdi. I think that he kind of, Harry Potter stuff probably didn't do as good a job at, uh, you know, his chops as an actor. So I think he could actually really pull off that, like, angry, tortured, hmm. Zon pain and suffering. I think it'd be really fun. Zon Cthulhu. Okay. Okay. So my first two, I think uh, I'm going to scrap. But I have two that I think are pretty good. One of them is not necessarily a well-known, like, named actor, but I he's very good at playing the evil character. Tony Todd. Who is that? He what plays he the Candyman. What? Oh, what? Yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know what Yeah, he is. plays uh, the mortician guy in Final Destination. He's not just... watch horror movies. Like... Oh, my gosh. Um, he's only in horror movies. He's only in horror movies, <laughs> Well, yeah. then I've never heard but of him. He, he also he's... has a very distinctive voice. He, yeah. He's oh, got does a... he? Okay. Or um, my top pick is actually Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, I forgot about Mads. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about Mads. <laughs> no, I'm going to save him for something else. Because <laughs> I, he's so good at being like charismatically Hannibal. evil. Like when he played Hannibal Lecter, I'm like, I should not be attracted to Hannibal Lecter. What is nah. wrong with Zonkathon? Heather. That's my question. See, ever since I've read about Zonkathon way back in the, you know, DD, first time that I've really talked about Pathfinder DDs, I've always pictured him as yeah. Doug Bradley from the very first Hellraiser movie. Like, not, he's older now because that movie came out in what, like the early the late 70s, I think, the first Hellraiser movie. I don't know who he plays in that. He's Pinhead. Yeah, he's Pinhead. Oh, I thought we just counted him. I, I did say that. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> that's who I've always me. pictured him as. Why do we have to discredit that? Because that's... Because it was too easy. <laughs> well, uh, the Paizo staff and James Jacobs himself said that yeah. Zon Cthune is their Cenobite god. Yes. Because he's a big fan they, of... They Hellraiser. literally uh, call okay. him that. And that's I who, guess. even before they even did artwork <laughs> for Zon Cthune, and they just, you know, I think it's, is it in the core rulebook? And all you have is the holy symbol. I read about him, and that's how I've always pictured him. So- it's weird because that guy's not like... I always think that Zonkathon is like, 
Yeah, he's evil and into super like horrible pain stuff, but like pretty, you know? Well, I just, I see, I don't, I guess I don't really think about well, that aspect of it. It's the brother of Shalin part. Yeah, yeah. it is yeah. that, it is that he's pretty, but then has been twisted by pain and suffering. Yeah. Like parts yeah. of his skin are flayed off. And well, yeah, but his face would still things. have his same bone structure. Like he would still, like something about something being really beautiful, being that evil yeah. is kind of interesting. I don't know. I, That's how it's just always been in my head. And I have a hard time thinking of it, look, of Zonkathun looking like anything else. Because mm. that's how I've always pictured him ever since I read the first blurb and was like, I love this. This is just like Hellraiser. So James Jacobs and I were on the same page, well, I, mean, I guess. <laughs> you know? so, I was never into Hellraiser. I don't think I saw. I tried to watch the first movie once, and I was like, eh. And that's Don Cthulhu in my brain. Hmm. I can't. Interest. But I, I could see it. I could see. Yeah. It. What do you got, Rick? I have a pick. The actor is sadly no longer with us, tragically, in fact. But just on the element of someone who was innocent and pure and beautiful, but I think he had the chops to really pull off acting a character like this. Anton Yelchin. That's exactly oh. what I knew you were going to say. Oh. Anton, really? Who yeah. was Chekhov in the Weird. Star Trek Yeah, I know who he that, was, like, but I just can't see He's not that. I don't know. Yeah. He was on a Criminal Minds he, yeah, episode, he where, an he episode of Criminal Minds yeah. where he played this like twisted, kind of dark, trying to keep himself from being a serial killer character. He could handle like a really dark, and he, he has that like, he seems like you've been someone that could play a character that was so, so joyous and playful and this embodiment of art and creativity before, and then was just twisted by the darkness yeah. to return to it. I think he could mm, honestly I could off. see that. I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to go and remind us he's not with yeah, us. Yeah, he, right. he sadly passed in a, a really freak tragic accident. I'm surprised that Rachel didn't say it. My pick's Adrian Brody. Oh! Because he's good looking in an interesting way. Yeah, he's And he also of... has the acting chops to like be a complex, yeah. like evil I am sad art. I didn't think of that one. I was really surprised. I was really surprised you didn't think of it. See, I'm over here me. still trying to think about somebody else, and my brain's like, no, that's that's what Zonk Thude looks like. But like thin a- Adrian Brody, uh-huh. yeah. not I'm, weird predator Adrian He was still pretty Brody. thin in that, though, because he's yeah. just kind I of a thin. But he, I like me some uh, Adrian yeah. Brody. I don't know. Oh, man, we got a lot of good choices. Uh, oh. Yeah, this is not one where there's like there's a clear winner. Um, Maybe we just users vote. <laughs> <laughs> vote on Reddit. Yeah. Yep. They have a list. Uh, know, we do have a, a list set up on having, Reddit. For- having just... You've seen Bohemian Rhapsody a few years ago. Ah. I think Rami Malek could pull it off. <laughs> I was also thinking, I, I was trying to pick with people who were still with us, but I was also like Heath Ledger. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah Heath but, Ledger definitely Heath could have But Rami about. Malek is, he's attractive, but not in like a conventional way. Yeah. And he did such a good job as a character actor in or portraying Freddie Mercury yeah, in Bohemian Rhapsody. Did you Until Dawn? No. It's oh, hard. Man. It's hard for me because he's on your ass to me. <laughs> Rami yeah. Malek is on yours. <laughs> but yeah, I so I can't picture him as that because he does remind me of on yours. Oh my god! Okay, that was new information to Heather. <laughs> we fan casted him. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're all right. So we can't pick Rami Malek because he is on yours. Okay, yes. whatever. <laughs> I don't think we fan casted our, well, our characters I, we, other than no, that one. Really. Apparently, Rachel and I worked together to cast him and didn't tell Heather. I don't know. I think we had a conversation had also, about this. I had at also lunch heard this. Yeah, oh, okay. So oh, okay. Apparently, Heather's the one that went inside a loop. I have a feeling you guys talked about this at lunch after the game one day oh, when yeah, I had to probably. leave or something. Ooh, we should cast our own character. Ooh, fans should Next cast our characters. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Hey, who do you think should play us? Well, not us, except but our for, characters. Like, yeah. like our characters. Except for uh, us, Except obviously. for apparently on yours, who gets Rami Malek, which I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to complain about. I've never seen Rami Malek bald, though. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I always forget he's bald, and then I remember it. I'm like, oh, yeah. 
I just can't. Weird. I, I mean, because Rami Malek, like, is actually... Egyptian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I think that about wraps it up for us, this after party. Uh, yeah. We do have one one last thing before we go. Uh, we do want to give a shout out to some of our uh, iTunes listeners who have gone on and giving us ratings and reviews, which are a huge help and boost to the show. And so we would like to pay that forward to all of you by shouting out to a fr- few of our friends out there, including uh, Violet Tempest. Thank you for your review and the five star rating, which was phenomenal. Thank you. And uh, thanks to Pathfinder Lover for giving us that review and rating uh, <laughs> and your very spot on name. And, you know, if you review us, other people will learn about us, which is not just helping us, yes. but the community. Spread the word. The world, really, if you think about the it. The entire the world that we are benefiting. Special shout out to J.W. McD for a wonderful review. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jay. J.D.I.O.O. Jadio? Jadio. Let's go with Jadio. Jadio? You gotta draw up the uh, O. Like Rufio. Rufio. Jadio. J-D-O. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but thank you for your commentary. And uh, thank you to Chris to Dude for your review. Thank you, Chris. Woohoo. So, yeah, thank you all for your reviews. It is very helpful to us to continue to spread the word and love of both Pathfinder and uh, all things Osirian, Osiriani, Osirian adjacent. Yes. Which I guess would be uh, Rahadun <laughs> and Catapesh. Anyway. So, grown literal, yes. All right. So, literally. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us on this after party. We are. gonna go away now but (laughs) please not forever though remember to send us your questions we love to talk and also you know hit us up on twitter bye see you later oh my god subscribe and like ding (laughs) (laughs) three easy payments of zero (laughs) dollars